0: Today, on Going Deep, Sports in the 21st Century.
1: Marcia and I are talking with three professors from the Purdue Neurotrauma Group.
0: These professors look at the hot topic issue of concussions through an uncommon lens.
1: This is a conversation worth your time. We're
0: going deep on concussions. Welcome to Going Deep, Sports in the 21st Century.
1: Today we're pleased to have three guests in studio. We're going to go deep with this on concussions. We welcome two Purdue Neurotrauma Group investigators, Tom Talavage and Eric Nauman, and high school football coach Terry Peebles.
0: Dr. Tom Talavage is a professor in the Purdue University School of Electrical and Computer Engineering with a joint appointment in the Weldon School of Biomedical Engineering. Tom is the founding co-director of the Purdue MRI facility and is one of the co-principal investigators in the Purdue Neurotrauma Group. And Dr. Eric Nauman is the director of the College of Engineering Honors Program, professor of mechanical engineering, and in the School of Biomedical Engineering and Basic Medical Science. He's also one of the co-principal investigators in the Purdue Neurotrauma Group work by these two professors and the Purdue Neurotrauma Group serves as the seminal demonstration of the consequences of repetitive head trauma in athletes who are generally classified as asymptomatic. Welcome, Tom and Eric.
1: And Coach Terry Peebles, he's worked at every level of football that there is, was an All-American quarterback at Hanover College. He's been an assistant coach and a coordinator at the college level and currently is the head football coach at William Henry Harrison High School right here in West Lafayette. Welcome, Coach Peebles. Okay, real quick, let's have a lightning round opener. Tom, we'll start with you, but why do you care about concussions and why should the public care about them?
2: I care about concussions, mostly because I have a, a long history of them from basically being clumsy with about seven concussions experienced between fourth and seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big sports fan. I know this has become a prominent issue within the athletic domain. And uh, as a big sports fan, I want to make sure that it's really feasible for kids uh, to continue to participate in all of these athletic events without uh, long term con- uh, concerns.
1: Amen. Eric Nauman.
3: Yes, th- thank you. My, uh, my interest in concussion kind of goes back to when I was in graduate school and I w- did most of my research at the VA hospital in San Francisco. Oh. And we saw a lot of soldiers coming through with a lot of different mm. kinds of injuries. And when we realized that the traumatic brain injury was kind of the, the signature injury of, of the latest conflicts, it, it became an important issue to me. And we use sports as a laboratory to try to understand what's going on. And uh, my but my big application where I would really want to go is is into protecting soldiers.
1: Amen. And Coach Peebles, uh, why do you care about concussions and why should we?
4: Well, I think it's the number one issue uh, in all of football, uh, whether it's the NFL on down to to our youth levels. uh, We need to find out as much as we can about it so we can try and prevent as many as possible and make the game as safe as we can. So we can grow the game. I, I think that mm-hmm. right now some people believe there's a war on football, and uh, you know I personally don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, I just think we need to reeducate you know some of the people that are running our programs again from the NFL right on down to the uh, to the youth levels. So uh, just want to try and get on board and, and find out as much as I can to keep kids as safe as possible.
0: That's a great attitude and and we really resonate with that. That's the same reason we're here today. There's some interesting ground to cover, there's some important ground to cover, so let's get right to it. Tom, can you get us started and tell us a little bit just kind of as groundwork for how does the brain work and why is it what is so vexing about brain injuries and concussions from a diagnostic and long-term health perspective?
2: Right. So the main, uh, issue, the main issue that we encounter as we're working with the brain is the fact that when we actually go to perform a task, whether it's to simply respond to a question, to do something relatively simple or something relatively complex, um, the brain works on the basis of uh, a lot of networks. So you have a lot of little centers in the brain that are communicating with one another across the brain at all times. And if information can get from A to B in a reasonable amount of time, then everything seems to be just fine. But really what you have to think about it is every time you're performing some sort of activity, it's a horse race and you're starting a bunch of horses. And as long as one of those horses reaches the finish line within an appropriate amount of time, the, the task is completed. And what can occur when you have brain injuries, in effect, fewer horses are starting that race, or some of those horses can't actually reach the finish line, and eventually, you can get to the stage where, yes, none of the horses finished the race in time, and therefore you suddenly are diagnosed as having something gone wrong in your brain. In other words, you have a symptom. But otherwise, you can have a pretty extensive amount of weakening or, or lessening of these network mm-hmm. function before anything's going to be observed, and what that really comes down to is, in the short term, that's one thing, but that a lot of that can actually probably be repaired. The concern is that, ultimately, as we get older, our brain decays, we lose cells from normal programmed cell death, and if we actually start eating away or chipping away at our reserves when we're young, then it probably means that at younger ages we start to experience much more significant neurological problems. Wow.
1: These injuries are kind of, one of the things that's always frustrated me as a coach is they're kind of invisible. <clears throat> So if you're in these networks and have these horse races, how do you know if you're having fewer horses (laughs) racing or not? Sometimes these injuries are, are, they're they're invisible. Steve Young said, you know, these are nefarious injuries that you never even feel until it's too late.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. And and the the problem is that under normal circumstances, we only probe athletes by asking them questions or asking them to do relatively straightforward tasks. And those tasks will reveal a problem if you have a relatively substantial injury. In fact, right now, one of the most common things people are pushing are balance tests. But hmm. the reality is, is you shouldn't have a problem with your balance unless you have a relatively severe brainstem level injury, not even cortical level injury. Hmm. So the the real big issue here is that you can't do this you know, at the present on the sideline using traditional methodologies. We need new methodologies, and this is why we are starting and we've been working on imaging for so long is to try to say this allows us a glimpse inside, and if we can understand what's happening Using imaging measures, non-invasive imaging measures, then we can start to say what are the correct things to do on the sideline that will allow us to pick up these injuries without having to do all the expensive imaging.
1: Hmm. Right, right. We're going to dig into that more, Eric. If you could talk to us a little bit about Purdue's approach and how it compares with other high-profile work in in the concussion. BU does it. UNC, the NIH. Most of those people are neuropathologists or doctors, and y'all are engineers uh, talk us through a little bit about your work and compare it to others
3: i, I appreciate that chance because there are a lot of interesting differences between the way engineers approach problems and the way that neuropathologists mm-hmm. approach problems um, when you once you had that the discovery of CTE and football players by dr. Amalu, um, that was revolutionary because at that point, everybody had, knew it happened in boxers, but nobody had extended it to something like football. And, uh, and that's kind of where, you know, the Boston group picked up. They, they continued to focus on uh, athletes who, who were deceased and looking at their brains and seeing what happened. But that's, And that's great work as well, but it's hard to piece together what's happening when you only see somebody very late in life. And uh, the work at uh, UNC um, focused mainly on just characterizing, you know, how many hits do kids take? How big are those hits? Uh, you know, what? How do they compare to other sports? And what what we got together to do was to um, was to combine neuroimaging, so we could actually look in the in the brains of live athletes. And then use these sensors to track everything that was happening to them throughout the season. And the idea was we would be able to see see the short term effects, what's happening, how is the brain changing? Is it is it being injured or is it adapting? You know, does it have to heal or is it adapting to, to what's going on? And I think that's kind of the big thing that that we've been able to do is is integrate the, the you know the head impact frequency and what's going on with each player, to actual data coming from their brains, and using that using that our own that same athlete as a control. That that was at the time people thought that was ridiculous because mm. up up until then the neuropathologists had primarily looked at if they weren't looking at deceased players, they were looking at players who got concussed, and then they would look at a you know a control athlete or not an athlete even but just. A control Mm -hmm. off the street. Um, and it was very hard to say what was going on. So, so when we started this study, Tom insisted that we, we image that everybody before the season started. And once we had those preseason images and you could see how they changed through the season, uh, it, it was, it was amazing. You know, we never thought it would be as dramatic as it was. And, uh, uh, since then, a few groups have tried to kind of follow up what we've done and apply it to other populations. But uh, um, but it was, it was fantastic. This collaboration has just been fantastic.
0: It's really exciting to hear the unique approach and also the unique possibilities from that mm-hmm. approach. And Coach Peebles, I wonder if you could talk us through, since your team has actually been a part of this study, mm-hmm. What does that look like um, from the perspective of you as a coach, From your for your parents, for your players? Tell us a little bit about it.
4: Well, it's, it's a very easy process <clears throat> from a coaching standpoint, uh, and I, Eric and Tom may have to help me out with a little bit. The way we do it at Harrison is we meet with the parents and our kids in May, uh, kind of give them an outline of what's going to go on that season. At that point, we let Eric and Tom come in uh, and kind of give their spiel to the to the group there. And they basically invite kids to, uh, to participate in the study. Uh, most of the kids really enjoy doing it because they actually get paid to be in the study. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they definitely like that part of it. But to be real honest, as far as a coach, that's really the, the last time I really have to do anything with it other than unlock the door for the students to, mm-hmm. to give them their mouthpieces or, or put the sensors on the, on the kids' necks. Uh, so really, for, as far as a coach, it's very, very easy. Now, as far as a player... Or a parent, perhaps you guys could tell me more of what you do with them. I know they, they test them a little bit uh, outside of uh, meeting with us.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in the mechanics of what the sensors are, the mouthpiece, stuff like that. What, what exactly are we talking about, and what would it look like on a player? Is it something that is, is noticeable? if they've that, got all their pads on that you could even tell or does the player even know that it's going
3: on? That's a very good question. We, uh, we've we used a whole array of sensors throughout this study. We started off with the HIT system, which is actually uh, a set of sensors that fits into the helmet. Um, so there's little spaces between the pads and it essentially scrunches in there. And that's really nice um, in a sense because uh, the, it weighs about six ounces seven ounces something like that and so it really the, the players don't really feel it mm-hmm. um, and we can just come in after hours and change batteries or do whatever we have to do and and so so that worked well from uh, from how you deploy it didn't give the most accurate results which was unfortunate mm-hmm. it allowed us to count hits very well but it didn't tell us how big each hit really was um, so then we moved on to some some little really elegant kind of uh, well, they're called patches, but they're just little sensors that fit right behind the, the right ear. Hmm. Um, they were much more accurate. Problem was, you had to glue them onto the player every practice. And the first time that we did it, it was <laughs> so it was one of the most humid summers we'd ever had. <laughs> Tom's rolling his <laughs> eyes. Yeah, right? Tom <laughs> is having <laughs> Honestly, a, an it,
0: attack of something. Oh yeah,
3: it was disgusting. <laughs> it was it was just awful. And so, so we would have to wipe them down and try to get these things to stick, and sometimes they'd fall off the last two years we've actually had pretty nice weather and that <laughs> to be honest, that's been our the one of the best things because now the patches stick well and they and they play, and they're able to do it and then last year, we actually had some instrumented mouth guards, and that was interesting because uh from what we could tell, the players were they kind of liked it they i mean it it was a very nice. Uh, system you they have to have mouth guards anyway so you you fit them and we had one of the best people fitting them so so they all fit perfectly um unfortunately the the technology wasn't quite where we wanted it so we didn't get the data we didn't get data from every player so Mm -hmm. they they tended to be a little more sensitive uh, probably because you stick them in boiling water at some point (laughs) Um, (laughs) sensors generally don't like that but but that's, that's something that we're working on, and we've, and we've been working on the lab and trying to figure out how to, how to build sensors that record all the data you need but that the players are almost unaware of. Mm-hmm. I think in both cases,
4: uh, we, we've, we've done the, the patch and we've done the mouthpiece. I think the players were, were definitely fine with both. Uh, like they were saying, during training camp in August, you know, when, it, when it's hot out there and the kids are really sweating, I think a few did come off. The, the only one problem we had this year with the mouth guards is w- one of our kids lost them, and they're pretty expensive mouth guards.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a good segue into that. My second question for you, Coach Peoples, talk about how uh, the parents, uh, or do you find that parents are interested in their kids participating in this? Is this something they're curious about? or uh, the,
4: the first year we did it, they were a little worried. I think uh, there, there were a couple dads uh, that thought well, if they read a hit on my kid, they're going to keep him out of the games, and he's not going to be able to play. But I think when Eric and Tom really explained it, said, "Look, this is this is a study. This is you. you we're not going to report it to the coaches. We're not going to report it to, you know, doctors or anything else like that. They're just trying to take the information in." I, I think it eased their fears a little bit, and. and with it being the second year this year, it, it was seamless. They, I think mm-hmm. everyone knew what they were getting into. And, uh, again, we, we want to do everything we can to help to make sure we, we keep things as safe as possible.
1: Mm-hmm. One thing that you say there, Terry, that's really interesting to me is parents were concerned, but their concern was that their son was going to be taken out of the game <laughs> if he had a concussion. Talk a little bit, Terry, because uh, you and I have talked in the past. One of the biggest concerns that you've had with uh, youth football in mm-hmm. this town uh, was actually very surprising to me. I didn't think you were going to go that direction. As a parent, if my son had a concussion, I'd be awfully glad to know it and want him out of the game. Mm-hmm. I th- it's almost the opposite.
4: Well, uh, you know, we, we started uh, the Harrison Youth Football Program this past year. And we wanted to make sure every coach in the entire program was USA football, heads-up certified. Uh, so so they all had been through the protocol, that, that they knew what was going on. And uh, we tried to, you know, try to really take a step and, and make it as safe as possible for the kids. After the year, we had done a questionnaire and let, let the parents, you know, kind of tell us what they thought. And, and a majority were very, very good. Uh, the two most common complaints were... Uh, number one, it wasn't competitive enough and, and mm-hmm. without question, the most hits we had were kids didn't hit enough the The, the parents were upset mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the kids were not hitting enough and i i would I don't have kids, so I was a little flabbergasted with that <laughs> right. uh, <but> I do
0: <laughs> have kids and I'm <laughs> flabbergasted
1: with that yeah something rolling his eyes again right now. again yeah. i don't
4: I don't think it was all the parents don't get me right. wrong. <laughs> Uh, but out of all the, the, the questions they had and things that they would recommend that we do different next year, that was the number one thing that they had talked about is right. they, they want more hitting, which I, I don't think that's going to happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's interesting to me, and we're going to talk about the culture of football a little bit later, because I think that's one thing that we really have to address, the, the culture. But one thing, too, Eric and Tom, that I really appreciate is so much of your work hasn't been on just football, but you've worked with uh, other sports as well. And frankly, I was shocked at the level of concussions in some of those sports, specifically women's soccer. That was news to me.
3: Yeah, I, uh, I, this may sound chauvinistic, and I apologize up front, but when we started testing women's soccer, we didn't think it would be that big of a deal. Um, we didn't think the hits would be nearly mm-hmm. as great as they were in football where they wear helmets and pads and everything. But it turns out uh, at the college level, the hits look almost identical to what we were seeing in football. Say that uh, again. In <laughs> women's soccer at the, college. Yeah, in women's at the soccer, college level. At the college level, the hit distribution, they they saw about the same percentage of 100G hits and 50G hits and and – the the distribution of hits looked the same, um, depending on the player, you know, if you were making player to player comparisons, sometimes they'd be more, sometimes they'd be less Mm -hmm. than say a football player. But, but overall, you know, when we started looking at it, that you'd have a goal kick and it would go across midfield and a defender or midfielder might head it back. And that was a hundred G hit. And, and it was, it was not unusual. And, um, uh, so that got us. That got us thinking. Okay, now, where do we take this? You know that the Tom can speak more to the MRI changes that we saw in the in the athletes, but um, but it actually got us very curious about you know what, what's happening in all these different sports and mm-hmm. and what can we change? What can we make better?
1: Mm-hmm. One thing that's interesting to me is so much of the research that y'all are doing. Is even before we get to the point of this person, young lady, young man, but before we even know they have a concussion, you see it. You see it. It's almost, Tom, is once a guy has a concussion, is it too late now? I mean, you see it coming on with right. some of your material. Right. Do you not?
2: Right. I, I think this is actually one of the other things to, to just kind of add on to what Eric brought up about the difference between our study and the other studies out there. Our study is extremely unique in that all the the big money studies out there are really – they're longitudinal studies, but they're longitudinal after the injury. Their focus yeah. is on trying to understand given – Observation of particular symptoms and particular changes in brain structures, how long are you going to be out, or how long will it take before you recover, or will you recover? Whereas we're the only study that's ongoing that's really doing a prospective approach to say, how do we actually prevent that injury in the first place? Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. We see a lot of changes. Now, we don't know that the changes we see are necessarily bad. So when we see these changes, we can't say they are pathology, that they are going to be equivalent to a concussion in the classical definition with symptoms. But they do represent evidence of brain change that the one thing we can say is it's not good. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's a really big key. And, and And so, yeah, we see that coming on. We see that developing. Now, the positive here is that's not in all of the athletes. It's in a lot of them, but it's not all of them. Um, We we work with teams that, as a general rule, don't hit a lot compared to many of the teams that are out there. So we really tend to see changes in the athletes who get hit the most. But that's only a subset of our athletes. And so from our perspective, that's a little bit comforting. But but at the same time, yeah, it, it, these changes are there. They're developing. And most athletes who are out there who are participating, particularly in places, let's say, like in Texas, where they can practice and actually hit contact five days a week, probably most of those athletes are having these what really should be called a concussion. But it's not because of the fact that it has a specific textbook definition. Mm-hmm. Well, this is incredibly interesting stuff and
1: tom Eric, terry all of you thanks i can't wait we're going to go to a break here and come back after the break uh, we're on going deep sports in the 21st century and we are going deep on concussions we'll be back
0: Welcome back to Going Deep. We're here going real deep on concussions with Tom Talavage, Eric Nauman, and Coach Terry Peebles. Before the break, we were just getting into some of what is unique about Purdue's study, but let's really dig into some of what you all are finding. There are lots of facts and horrible stories and things rolling around out in the media about concussions. And particularly the issue of CTE now is very prominent because of the movie concussion. I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit, Tom and Eric, about the findings that you've had. And how does the the magnetic resonance imaging, how does that line up with the findings, say, of the postmortem brain and the buildup of tau and things like that, that we're we're all getting more able to talk about because of.
2: Hollywood, basically. <laughs> so I'll take this in a little bit of chronological order, just because I think it helps illustrate what happened and how the thought process uh, went into the research. Um, by the time we were getting ready to start our project in 2008, uh, there had been recent publications about uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy in former uh, NFL football players uh, from Bennett Amalu. that was really big, big, big news to everybody. And Anne McKee then at Boston University was starting to also publish work. Um, and while we were doing our first year of study, we are, the question we actually came into this uh, project with was the exact same one everybody else asks, which is you have two players hit their heads, one of them comes away with a concussion, why didn't the other player come away with a concussion? So the question initially was to try to understand how did you know, head shape, musculature, body size, these factors come to come into play. So we, we designed a study, and, and as Eric has previously noted, I was being neurotic about this as, a, as an imager. And I wanted to get baseline data on the athlete so that if we had an actual injury that was causing brain damage, I would be able to tell that the athlete was injured. So what happened is we got a couple weeks into the, the season, and as, as Coach can, uh, I'm sure, you know, uh, talk about, you get concussions in a football team. Roughly 10% of the players get concussed on any given year. But y- you don't know when that's going to be. And, of course, for us, what happened the first year of our study is nobody was getting concussed. So, which was you know, not a bad thing. But at the same time, you're going, well, gee, what are we doing here? Um, so we're, we're a couple weeks into the season. And we said, you know, we really want to take a look at the players to make sure that our imaging protocol is actually working. So we bring some of our uh, athletes in. And we, we decided what we would do is we'd bring in a couple athletes who were getting hit a lot and who therefore were likely to end up being people we would want to compare other concussed, other athletes who were concussed uh, to those guys. So we brought them in and they started failing some of our neurocognitive tests. And then we brought them back in and they failed the neurocognitive tests again. We're sitting there and our initial question had been, well, we must have done something wrong. But then after they failed them the second time, we're saying, wait a minute, maybe we're not doing anything wrong. Maybe there's something going on here. Uh, so we started looking at the neuroimaging data, and our, our neuroimaging data started saying that these athletes were experiencing marked changes in their actual brain's behavior. Uh, this was just about the same time that uh, Ann McKee's paper came out that started proposing that, you know, or was reporting the finding that the presence and extent of chronic traumatic encephalopathy in football athletes was not well related to the number of diagnosed concussions Mm -hmm. or even necessarily to the number of suspected concussions. And so, therefore, she was saying maybe it's some sort of subconcussive exposure. When you're getting hit a lot repetitively, maybe that's causing this. And it was at that point when we're staring at our data saying, wait a minute, we got kids who are getting hit an awful lot and their brains are changing Tremendously, Whereas kids who aren't getting hit a lot are looking pretty much the same as they did before the season. You know, that's when all the light bulbs go on and you suddenly say, oh, my gosh, this is really interesting. We just I think we just saw something that was really, really important. Mm-hmm. So what we'd found and, and, and what has been now borne out over seven years of study is that. What we see are these short-term changes in brain physiology. They occur in the way the brain networks with itself. They occur in the chemistry of the brain. They occur in the white matter structure of the brain. There may be some evidence that it's even occurring in the gray matter, so the actual cells that make up your brain. Um, and these cha- and occur in how your brain interacts with your blood supply to bring nutrients and to maintain the health of the brain. Mm-hmm. So we've got all these changes that are ongoing. As I've said before, I think it's a critical point to note, we can't point To the fact that these issues are presently pathology in the context that there's nothing here we can point to and go to a neurologist and he will say oh i need to treat that so we get classified as not being clinically relevant under that basis but it's really critical to say that all of the changes we see and the directions in which we see those changes going are perfectly consistent with well documented pathology of traumatic brain injury alzheimer's disease or these other types of longer-term neurodegenerative disorders so We we kind of have taken to saying what we're seeing may not be bad, but it is certainly not good for you. And critically, the changes we're seeing then are also very consistent with what the most significant cases of CTE typically can be documented to have exhibited earlier in their lives. So what Mm -hmm. we're saying here is we see early stages that are not necessarily going to become anything like CTE. That is potentially a much later stage of development. Mm -hmm. But what we're seeing is certainly not great. And Mm -hmm. so that's why what we're really trying to figure out is how do we work with the technology, work with the culture to prevent this from happening. And this is, again, we don't want to wait until the injury has occurred and then figure out, well, how do you treat it afterward? It's very important to us to say this all looks like something we can prevent.
3: I think you said most of it there that's, okay. <laughs> that's pretty good um, it, it is important that we can't say like we aren't seeing CTE in these players right now mm-hmm. but the changes that we're seeing are are so dramatic and and they aren't necessarily healing from one season to the next that mm. there's clearly a build up of change, <laughs> build up of, of the brain responding and adapting and trying to deal with this and in some people it can and in some people it Isn't able to.
2: One key point again to make, though, is this is not in all of the athletes. Mm -hmm. This is in the athletes who are really going out there. We saw it that first season in what we would almost call our kamikazes. The kids Mm -hmm. who on every play felt they had to hit somebody or something. Mm -hmm. And... Again, I think we have in this area coaching staffs who are extremely concerned about these issues and who do a fabulous job of actually controlling exposure. Um, and I suspect that if we could collect data from around just the state, let alone around the Midwest, we would find that the teams we monitor are actually in the very low end or right. quite mm-hmm. low on the actual overall exposure. So, you know, on a, on a typical team of like where we monitor 12 to 15 athletes, we might see this in four to five of them. Right. So, we're only seeing this in maybe a third of the athletes that were in the, like at a really substantial level. We're seeing this in maybe about a third of the athletes we're observing. I think if we go to some other teams, you would probably find it's much closer to 70 to 80 percent.
1: That's a lot to swallow right there that you <laughs> said. I, I think there's a lot in there. Now, there's a well known case of, of Owen Thomas. Owen Thomas was a Penn football player. Who was never diagnosed with the concussion, never. Yet he killed himself at age 21, and as they uh, looked at his brain post mortem, saw the CTE. What I'm hearing you say is that while there are certain players on a team those players that are always hitting always hitting and we can identify those players that's not hard i mean the guys that every single play are banging heads the mike websters Mm -hmm. well they may not reach a, a boiling point of 212 where you see the bubbles you can see it as clear as day these players may be living in the 208-209 range that makes them mm-hmm. pretty doggone susceptible that if you just know Terry as a coach, if you just had someone saying to you, hey, Joey here just got up into the 207-208 range, let's back him off a little bit. Am I barking up the right tree there, Tom? And then Terry, I want to also go mm-hmm. to you. Man, wouldn't that be helpful as a coach? I mean, you've got the info. Let's not get it – let it get to the boiling point, so to speak.
2: Yeah, I think that's actually a very good description of it. I think that's precisely what's happening. A lot of these kids are spending a lot of time near the edge. Because of maybe the nature of the blows, they take – The biomechanics of the way they actually are hitting, they aren't producing enough injury at any point to break a network, to produce symptoms, but they've probably weakened an awful lot of that brain. And yes, that's exactly right. Those are the guys we most want to identify so that they can do something about it.
4: I think it it would be awesome if we had that information and we're Mm -hmm. we're able to to use it in a a quick, timely manner. Uh, I think the way it is now, uh, you just have to use common sense as a coach. Uh, your middle linebacker is gonna hit a lot more than a third-string wideout. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I coaches know the difference. I, I really truly believe that there's a reason the day before a game where you just do a walkthrough and there's no and there's no contact because they know we want to have them healthy for the game. So I think if uh, if coaches just use common sense, a lot of it would take care of itself. Uh, but it would be a great great tool to have if you're actually able to see something like that? It it really
1: is a great tool. And I've kind of got two sides that I look at this. It's a great tool as a parent. If my son is reaching that boiling point and you know it, we need to get him out. Now, as a coach, the higher the stakes get, the harder it gets to do that. You know, I, I, then, I think maybe
4: even for parents. Yes. I mean, I, I think there are some some moms yeah. and dads yeah, the out there are high who, for parents. Th- that, you know, they think their their child might have the ability to earn a scholarship Gosh, or something like that. Point. So they'll want them to continue to play,
3: even if the coach may not. Mm-hmm. So,
1: so even if yeah. the doctor may not. Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. Eric. Yeah. yeah. So so that that you're absolutely right on all points. And and uh, and sometimes the pressure comes from places you don't expect it. Right. And that's and so that's why. We've been working with all these different types of sensors, trying to come up with a way to to give you that real-time feedback so that you can track how many hits they're taking, mm-hmm. how big they are. And we're desperately trying to correlate it to what Tom sees in the MRI because we don't want to have to give players MRIs six times a season. Like You just can't. It's too expensive. It's too time-consuming. too time consuming. But what we need is something very easy to, to implement and deploy and give the coaches the feedback, mm-hmm. and essentially, the, then that gives the coach the opportunity to say, "Sensor says he's at two oh nine. He's got to stop." And then the par- and the parent at that point can't say anything. Or yeah, it's an objective the, some, measure. You know, mm-hmm. That's yeah. it. We definitely need those objective measures, and that's really one of the the big things that we're working towards. Mm-hmm. And what I'm starting
1: to feel too is, as a coach, if you can tell me on Wednesday, hey, this guy's right. at two oh eight. Then I might have him Friday night, or mm-hmm. I might have him Saturday, but if you tell me on Wednesday, bam, he's concussed, he's out, he's he's out that week, mm-hmm. and yes. this as a parent, this as a coach strikes me
4: as a win-win. Yeah, well, I could see it scaring some coaches. Yeah, I, mean, too. <laughs> I definitely see it uh, scaring some coaches.
0: And I wonder if, if I mean, the I. It does. And I wonder, too, like, and we're going to talk more about culture later, but Coach Peebles, you you have been listening to a lot of this stuff for a while now because Mm -hmm. your team is participating. You've been in conversation with Tom and Eric. And have you found yourself shifting how you practice, shifting the way you, you know, the way you coach players because of this?
4: Well, I, I I'm I'm not sure of that. Uh, we haven't changed a whole lot, but uh, to be honest, we we're pretty progressive as far as how little contact we actually have during the week. Um, so I we, we haven't necessarily changed, but it does keep it on your mind, mm-hmm. um, and just you continue to think about it because I think you know you know Coach Shoop and I. Can both tell you hurt players don't help you win football games. No, so we we want the kids as healthy as possible too, and I, I think most football coaches do. I think it's they just have to understand the study. They have to understand the numbers that they're coming to them and understand why they're they're coming to them. Again, with a twisted ankle, it swells up. It's real easy to see. Sometimes with these head injuries, it's it's a little tougher to believe when you can't see it. So uh, when there are numbers involved with it. I think it'll be much easier for them to look at it and and take it into account and say, yeah, that that's something we should be looking at.
0: Right. And that is better for everybody. So, um, gentlemen, it's time for our halftime stretch. Let's uh, back away from our concussions discussion just for a minute. And we'll start with a nostalgia question. We're going to start with Terry. Who was your favorite sports team growing up?
4: When I was young, it was probably the Pittsburgh Steelers because Terry Bradshaw was a quarterback, and then the uh, the Indianapolis Colts moved, or Baltimore Colts moved to Indianapolis, and. And moved about a block away from my house, so I, I ended up becoming a Colts fan.
0: Okay, all right, okay. Let's go to you, Tom. Favorite team? Steelers. All right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did you all talk to John before this, or <laughs> and Eric?
3: No, I, I grew up in Minnesota, so I was a Vikings okay. fan.
0: All right. Well, I'm glad <laughs> we had a non-conformist in the room. Eric,
1: <laughs> stick with you here. Favorite player growing up? Any uh, sport doesn't have to be football.
3: I uh, I think it, you know it had to be. Uh, david robinson oh. I, I, was a, I was a big i was a big fan of his for a long time
1: great call
0: i grew up a kentucky fan i was not a fan of david robinson's because <laughs> he made <laughs> us look bad
4: terry favorite player uh probably mm-hmm. joe montana
1: oh okay. four rings pittsburgh guy by the way mm-hmm. <laughs> uh ringgold high school yep. <laughs> uh tom favorite player
2: pop stargel oh
0: baseball Let me tell you. You all are like soulmates (laughs) over
2: here.
1: (laughs) I have a Willie Stargell throwback jersey, and the 79 Pirates
2: uh, are the... My favorite team in the history of teams. <clears throat> if I could, we I could had probably room. probably recite their entire starting lineup batting averages and can pitching staff Can you do batting
0: stances? Here. He can do batting most stances. Of
2: them. <laughs> after, after we're done here, I'll do the batting
1: stances versus a right or left-handed lineup. Okay.
0: There have been times when I've had trouble falling asleep and I asked John to just recite the batting order and their batting average and I'm usually asleep by the fourth or fifth <laughs> That person. sounds
2: okay. good. That's
0: good. So, okay. Most famous sports figure you have ever met tom
2: uh probably joe barry carroll Uh, my dad was coming back to campus from a business trip and we were waiting at the purdue airport and Mm. uh, joe barry was waiting on his girlfriend to fly in on the same flight my mom had no clue who i was talking to or who i was playing with (laughs) that didn't matter my mom was unaware (laughs) of who joe barry was so
0: cool terry (laughs) what about you Uh,
2: there have been a, a a number, but I'd
4: say the one that I was probably closest to uh, was probably Jim Harbaugh when I did an cool. internship with the Colts. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I worked with the quarterbacks, and Lindy Infante was the offensive coordinator at the oh. time. So we got an opportunity to, to warm up with Jim pretty much every day during training camp. Uh, he later got me a job with his dad down at Western Kentucky, so so I was actually on staff with Jim. At uh, Western Kentucky University, so uh, things are going really well for him right now. So right now, I'd say he's pretty famous.
0: That's cool. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. And we got to hear Eric's Eric's uh, most famous sports figure you've ever met. I,
3: yeah, I, I it probably would have you yeah, for a, a while. I went to high school with Grant Hill, and Ooh, uh, and so nice. that was fun. I would I was one of the gym rats that would that would be there early. So you know when there was enough people, just barely enough people to play, I would get on, and then as soon as you know two more kids came i was off yeah <laughs> was
0: he he time. also is not a favorite figure of mine as a, a feeling, uk yeah. fan yeah
2: that's okay as a purdue fan he's not a great favorite either
1: <laughs> terry last one before we go into the break you could go back in time be a world-class athlete in any sport what do you choose
4: i'd babe ruth would be pretty good okay so he, he
2: he baseball. enjoyed
4: life, and, and it was very, very good. So. All right. Tom?
2: Yeah, I'd have to stay with baseball. It's just my, my sport. Amen. <laughs> Eric?
3: Yeah, I would, I would love to, to do something great in basketball. I was always – that was all I wanted to do for a long time.
0: Cool. Great halftime stretch, and we certainly have gone deep in this discussion about concussions, but as you all know, we can go deeper. And that's exactly what we're going to do in part two of this discussion in episode two of Going Deep. In that show, we're going to talk about things that you will not want to miss. They're not the things you normally hear in media coverage of concussions. We're going to hear about some of the politics, some of the funding issues, and some of the possibilities and strategies for enacting real change on this important issue.
1: We'll welcome Tom Talavich, Eric Nauman, and Coach Terry Peebles back for Part 2 of Concussions. This has been Going Deep, Sports in the 21st Century. We're Team Shoop.
0: Find us on iTunes and shoopsgoingdeep.com.
1: And follow us on Twitter at Shoop's Going Deep for the latest on Going Deep, Sports in the 21st Century.